This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by MediaTek. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Tuesday, February 14th, 2023, and I have the awesome Finbar Monian here of MediaTek to talk about the latest Dimensity chipset, the 7200. Hi, Finbar. How are you? Hi, Mariam. I'm good. How are you doing? Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, it is Valentine's Day. Thank <laughs> you. Happy Valentine's Day to you too and to everyone in the audience. Yeah, you have a new chip coming and I wanted to make sure that we get kind of the lowdown. Uh, folks, obviously, we're going to have a, a media guest later on in the show to talk about the news of the week. But uh, Finbar, tell me about this chip. So this is exciting because you've launched a 9200, then quickly thereafter the 8200. Now we have the 7200. And so, you know, the question asked in the briefing yesterday, which was like, how do you position these really? And in terms of like existing chipsets? Yep. Good, good question, Ryan. So let me maybe start. Um, you know, we've always said we wanted to have a full portfolio of like 5G chipsets, right? And, you know, we've, I think, delivered on that promise with the 9000 series for flagships, which is now in its, you know, second generation, the Dimensity 9200. We've also, I think, identified the premium tier, as we call it, uh, as being very important for certain markets. And that's where our Dimensity 8000 series has fit in. The most recent version of that is the Dimensity 8200. But I think right. one of the trends we've observed, and I'm sure you know you and your audience you know are aware of this, but product lifetimes are extending, right? People are not replacing their mobile devices as absolutely, often. So, yeah, yeah. So there's there's a I think a, a customer desire or a consumer desire out there for high end features that are going to last them quite a long time, right? And in many cases, it's the camera features coupled with the AI capability that give that user experience, or maybe the gaming experience. So what we've tried to do with the new Dimensity 7200 is, you know, find that balance between, you know, price and performance so that people who are buying devices in this ta- in this tier, in this category, get that kind of experience that they want. Of course, it doesn't deliver everything that the 9000 series or the 8000 series delivers, but, you know, that's the magic or the balance that we try to strike, I guess. I think what I see just, you know, from like a kind of a quick overlook perspective, having just been briefed on this yesterday, is I'm seeing, you know, a four nanometer chip, which is a big deal, a huge improvement over some of the older, more mid-range chips. And of course, as you said, it's it's kind of like, let's pick the features that are possibly the most significant long-term but also get to a price point that is more attractive to the manufacturers and that can be carried on to the consumers, correct? Correct. Yeah. And if you look at it closely, I think a good comparison point for the new Dimensity 7200 is to look back at what we announced with our flagship in November, the Dimensity 9200. And okay. I think we've we've selectively picked certain capabilities, technologies, or IP. So for example, you mentioned the four nanometer technology. So we're on second generation TSMC four nanometer technology you know, the bleeding edge of process technology today. So that'll give you all of the benefits. I mean, that's really exciting for what is essentially a mid-range chip, right? Correct. Kind of premium yeah, mid-range. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, we're bringing the ARM V9 cores um, capability. Yeah. So again, it's it's big core, little core configuration, which is more standard in these kind of tiers. But again, ARM V9 capability. And then selectively, 
Things like the camera ISP technology, very similar technology to the flagship integrated into this product. So again, we're not bringing all of them, but just, as you right. said, selectively picking the ones that make sense, we think. So kind of if you had to say like percentage-wise, like are we getting 80% of the experience basically on the ISP side? Well, I mean, clearly, you know, comparing to the flagship, we don't obviously have the Cortex-X cores, right? The big cores. Right. So you don't, you don't get that. You get a big little configuration, which again, I think is more standard in, in this territory. For sure. You know, the graphics capability is also different, right? So we've certainly got a, a very different graphics core capability. But we also pay a lot of attention to the gaming user experience on the Dimensity 7200. Mm, so right. as well as the graphics capability, we've also brought what we call Hyper Engine 5, which is our suite of technologies that were first debuted on the Dimensity 9000, so the flagship from That's one right. year ago. Yep. And we've integrated all of those into the Dimensity 7200 as well. So it's not just about the GPU performance, as we've talked before. Right, but there's neural processing quality, and exactly. all kinds of things. Yeah, when I was asking you about the 80%, I was more asking about, like, in terms of ISP, because you had just talked about the ISP. Uh, almost you know, the because same scenario. Yeah. Again, you know, right? You're, you know, I've noticed that's one of the things I like about the MediaTek chipsets in the past, even in the 1000 series, you've always kind of like prioritized some basically features that I feel are critical. You know, imaging has become so critical, right? Like at this point, it's probably one of the most important features of a phone for the average person, right? So, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, let's scale this linearly, right? I think you were the first at MediaTek to really understand that. Yeah. Whereas the competition was very much like, you know, BMWs and Audis, different sizes of the same thing. You guys were more like, okay, let's really give people what they need um, for this tier at this price, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. And a good example of that, I think, just to maybe stay on the camera topic for a second is, you know, one of the areas that we focused a lot on with the Dimensity 9200 was bringing the use of AI technology to a point where it could be applied to video applications as well as still image capture. So, right. you know, I think a lot of the devices for a while now have been using AI technology to improve still image capture, you know, enhancing the photographs. But it's a much different um, challenge from a power perspective to apply that continuously while you're recording video. We were able Absolutely. to do some of that on the 9200. We've brought that same technology here. So you can apply, for example, you know, AI face beautification technology to 4K video, if that's something you're interested in, wow, for example. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, you know, if I had a menu in front of me that represented everything that MediaTek can deliver, basically the 9200, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what would be your key talking points here? What would be the things that you feel that you've picked out of that menu for the 7200 that are really the, the key features? And I think you already talked a little bit, obviously, about the AI features and video here. Yeah. But maybe walk me through some of that, because I think the audience is still probably have a hard time knowing because they, they don't have the menu in front of them, right? I think there's probably three. One is a combination of the TSMC four nanometer second generation process technology with the with the ARM V9 cores. So I think by any measure, you'd accept that's kind of leading edge technology and capabilities today. Absolutely. Second, exactly what you said, the use of the 9200 capability on the camera and then bringing the AI features to camera and video applications, we think is very important. And third, I would say is the focus on the holistic gaming experience. So not just the GPU that's integrated, but our hyper engine technologies that bring that to life for the consumer with 
better battery life, better picture quality, lower latency, more responsiveness on the U on the connectivity, whether it's Wi-Fi or cellular, etc. Those yeah. are probably the three areas we focused on. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in the Helio days, you had the G series. I mean, it still exists. I'm just saying, exactly. like, when you introduced it, you know, G for gaming, right? I mean, to some extent, there was a bit of focus on that. And I think that's what I mean by, like, you know, you're not cookie cutting different sizes here. You're just really kind of bringing that in the forefront. I remember when I first touched a Helio G chip, and I was like, wow, yeah, gaming performance is definitely standing out, despite this being, you know, not a very high-end chip overall. And uh, so, you know, I, I presume that's kind of what we're going to see here because gaming, you know, I mean, we're looking at it from the West here. Gaming mm -hmm. is, you know, we're going to buy gaming phones and, and flagships that kind of do it all. The Swiss Army knives, I just reviewed the Galaxy S23 Ultra. And it's like everything in the kitchen sink. It's like, you know, I know this intuitively, but every year that I re-review it, essentially, the updated version of the same thing, it just feels like like they just throw everything at it. And that's what the 9200 brings kind to the yep. table, right? But here, I think you're just bringing experience to gaming, for example, that in markets like India, right, or markets where people's phones are their main computers and they have a broad range of budgets, you're still delivering an experience that they can play with their friends, right? Even if their friends have maybe a slightly better device. And I think that's one of the major features that I see uh, evolving overall in the chip industry. Like I think Apple's hit that early on with the bionic chips. And I think mm -hmm. we're seeing that from, you know, the competition for you guys as well. But I, again, I feel like you did this, what, five years ago now with the Helios? It yeah, seems like yeah. forever ago. And and 4G yeah. still exists and 4G is still a very important market for us and will be, I think, for quite some time. And and you're right. The, the focus there, I think, has really gone to the G series around gaming. But that's... You know, I think you you hit it on the on the nail on the head there, Mariam. I mean, it's about you know how can we bring the right features in the right technology to make our customers successful in delivering devices for that broad range of consumers. Because of course, there's a market for the flagship, and we're playing there now as well, and we're going to take more share there. But that price point, that feature set, is not for everybody. But pushing that technology on our side, of course, then allows us to, as you said, selectively pick some of those technologies that make sense for, you know, devices in lower tiers like the 7000 and the 8000 series. So here's a question for you. And I know you can't speak to future products, but you say 4G is still important. And I believe mm -hmm. that, too. I feel that there is a market for the kind of what we would probably call the budget or low end market today. But how soon do you think we're going to be able to see some of the features that you're seeing here? brought down to just a 4G chip with maybe some of the fab benefits. Like I'm not saying necessarily the performance, raw, pure MIPS numbers, spec sheet performance, mm -hmm. but like, you know, a Helio chip on a four nanometer process that brings some of the technologies here that we're seeing to just give people at the budget and a better experience. You know, is that something we're going to see, you think? Is it achievable from a well, technical point of view and a budget point of view? So last year, we launched um, what we call the Helio G99, which brought our 4G series from 12 nanometer technology to 6 nanometer technology. Okay, okay. So that's yeah. a big jump, and, right? And that was a big jump last year. And I think that was done for a few reasons. Like one, obviously, the 6 nanometer technology brings power and performance benefits like we expect with, with all of the migrations of the process technology. 
you know, it was also done with the view that, you know, fab capacity in different, in different nodes is, is obviously was getting more crunched, a little bit different now. But again, six nanometer, those advanced processes have more capacity. So that also helps with supply going forward. I mean, we, we have a view that this year, the market will probably be mid 50%, like 55% 5G, but that still leaves 45% of the global market that's 4G, which is quite a lot of volume. That is. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, six nanometer is probably where 4G technology stops. Okay. I don't know that the economics will work as we look at five nanometer, four okay. nanometer, and some of the more advanced processes where, where 5G clearly makes sense today. That was what I was wondering about. Yeah, thanks. So looking at that 9200 menu and bringing that back down to the 7200, is there any difference in terms of things like what RAM it can use? Like, you know, DDR5X is the top of the line today, yep. uh, low power DDR5X. And then we have, of course, you know, UFS 4.0. And I'm not sure these are specific to, you know, there's a technical limitation as to what chip can support what here, but I presume there is. So I'm wondering like how much of that, I mean, it's really nerdy and it really doesn't yep. matter to the end user, but I'm just kind of curious, like, where do you draw the lines on this? and you know, what are we seeing on the 7200, maybe even the 8200, which I'm not as familiar with, honestly. So for the 7200, for example, we've chosen to support both LPDDR4 and LPDDR5. And that's okay. probably a reflection of, you know, where we see the device positioned today, but also a little bit into the future, right? Because clearly... I mean, five is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and But it also has, like, there's some price differences. So again, people can choose a little bit lower performance with LPDDR4, perhaps but right. at a lower price point. But then if you want to go for performance, and then over time, of course, what will happen is one memory generation will transition to the next generation as the, as the sweet spot. And you know what we tend to find, like you referenced the Dimensity 1000 series, which you know we've had in market now for a couple of years, 1000, 1100, 1200, 1300 devices. You it know, feels like longer than that to me, Finbar. It feels like the LG Velvet was, Yeah. Didn't the LG Velvet predate the pandemic wasn't it 19 2019 yeah so we're talking three years something like that yeah three four years yeah yep. you know um but these you know these products that the at the high end the flagships you know they tend to have one two-year life cycles for new designs of course the products live longer mm -hmm. but when you get down into these tiers you know the design and times tend to be longer so we probably have to mm. you know meet the needs for today and meet the needs for tomorrow so we try to do that with some of the interfaces like the memory for example got it Got it. And then in terms of ISP, like back to that, because obviously it's so important, you know, camera proliferation and megapixel proliferation is a thing for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Obviously, camera mm -hmm. proliferation has been a thing for a number of years. I, it's just, you know, it occurred to me this velvet. I'm like, wow, it's been so long. Mm -hmm. It just feels like yesterday, but it's been, as you said, three, four years. You know, are we seeing any caps on this? 200 megapixels, I have a feeling, is going to explode and become a mid-range feature very soon. Uh, not because of the numbers. Of course, there's a marketing side here, which is silly, as we know, because from a purely imaging perspective, the bigger pixels, the better. But there's all the, like, all the computational features that large uh, number of megapixels enable. And, you know, I've yeah. talked about this on a number of my reviews with the 200 megapixel phones now. And it's the ability to pixel bin dynamically on, you know, and and get like better zoom because of it. Uh, we've seen this on the, the Realme 10, you know, series, for example, that, that 3X zoom that 
yep. is pretty much lossless on their 180 megapixel sensor using a MediaTek chip, right? So I think to me, this is kind of part of that critical ISP story. And I'm wondering Correct. how far are you able to go with the 7200 from that awesome menu? Yeah, no, um, great, great point. And I think you got it exactly right. It's, it's not necessarily about the megapixels. It's about what you do with the pixels when you have them. And to that point, we've brought exactly the same 200 megapixel single camera capability from the 9200 into this Dimensity 7200. Wow. Again, again, thinking about like, this is going to be a solid, you know, high performance platform for devices in these tiers for quite some time. And as you said, expecting those high megapixel things to start migrating from the high end further down um, makes sense. So we've built in capability for that already. Great. Yeah, you know, that's obviously forward thinking and I didn't expect anything else from MediaTek, but I just kind of wanted to confirm because, you know, the audience is pretty nerdy and they're going to look at these things and go like, hmm, you know. Mm. In terms of display, what obviously, I mean, 1080p, 120 hertz is kind of like pretty much what we expect to be standard for a while now. Yeah. Are you seeing potentially any more that you need to support, something higher than that? No, it's, it's, it's more like about like the kind of full HD plus, you know, the higher refresh rates, of course, like 144 hertz. Um, and then, you know, more and more support for different, you know, high dynamic range, you know, standards right. and playback and, those, and stuff like those, that. Those, those, those kind of capabilities. So again, it's, it's a lot more, I would say, focus on picture quality enhancement rather than pushing larger frame sizes for these kind of devices. That makes perfect sense. Let's quickly talk on, you know, radios for this mm -hmm. set so we can wrap up. Just curious, obviously, we're going to see, I presume we're going to see, obviously, sub-6 5G. Will there be millimeter yeah. wave versions at some point? I don't think it has it right now, does no, it? No, this, this, this is a sub-6 5G. And I think, you know, we're all still seeing sub-6 is, yeah. is, is, the, is the logical place. <laughs> Absolutely. Two, two carrier, 200 megahertz, uh, up to 4.7 gigabits per second, maximum theoretical downlink speeds on the cellular. And of course, all of the dual SIM, dual vo voiceover right. NR capability. And then on the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth side, we've integrated Wi-Fi 6E. So you've got tri-band support. Oh, nice. Gigahertz support as well. Um, and the latest Bluetooth 5.3 is integrated. So again, oh, I was going nice. to ask you about that. Wow, this is this is a pretty impressive package. Wow. I mean, yeah. you know, like I'm not going to notice the difference between 5.2 and 5.3 when I use my earbuds today. Yeah. But maybe in the future there'll be some accessory that yeah, makes so it's a difference. Future. Right? Yeah, exactly. Future. Yeah. Future. So proofing. I'm kind of thinking, since you're looking forward quite a ways, that's kind of what I had in mind. But listen, that's a pretty exciting product. You're said on the briefing that we're starting going to start seeing devices pretty soon with this, yes? Yep. We expect the first phones to launch in this quarter, so basically within the next month, and certainly through Q2, you'll see more. Um, so it's it's pretty eminent that you're going to start to see some devices coming out. Well, that's really exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, thanks for the rundown on the 7200. Do you have any parting words, anything else that we should mention that we maybe didn't. No, I think I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, I think it's you know it's a pretty exciting um, rollout for us. Um, you know, for your for your audience, you know, we are transitioning to this new four digit numbering scheme. So we've had the nine thousand series, the eight thousand series. This is the first of the seven thousand, and you can expect that there will be a six thousand series coming at some. You point. know, I was thinking that earlier actually when uh, 
before you came on here, Lynn and I were talking and I was like, hmm, 6,200. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll have another podcast later, Miriam. <laughs> Thank you so much, Finbar, for uh, running us through the 7,200. Folks, we'll have more coming up with our media guest. Finbar, thanks again. And we'll Always have you on in the future. Much appreciated. Thanks, Miriam. And we're back with Adam Matlock, Tech Odyssey on YouTube. Hi, Adam. How are you? Good. How are you today? I'm good. So I just had Finbar Monian on from MediaTek talking about the Dimensi 7200. And I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that chipset. Well, anytime they come out with new Dimensity chip, I'm always happy. And I was at the MediaTek <laughs> Summit here a couple of months ago whenever they announced a 9200. So I, I've been a big fan ever since they've come out with them. And it's, I think the more competition we have, the better. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I'm glad you said that you're happy because competition is good. And this is just yet another chip that I think kind of hits the meat, right? Like the place where not necessarily in the US, but in the rest of the world, a lot of phones are going to land, right? Like this is replacing the Dimensity 1000 series, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, in many ways. And you know, we haven't seen too many phones in the US with that. Like there was the LG Velvet T-Mobile edition, which had the uh, early Dimensity 1000, I think. But nonetheless, I think in parts of the world like India and China that get a lot of mid-range phones that are really competitively priced, I think it's going to be super cool to get that chip going. And I'm glad too, like Finbar was saying, you know, that they're kind of picked out of a menu all the best parts of the 9200 and put it in the 7200. So it's not like they're just kind of like, you know, making three different sausages of different lengths. They're actually just <laughs> kind of like selectively grabbing the bits and pieces, which I think is a really smart strategy. No, I mean, it's going to have some good stuff. And then uh, on top of that, it's still a four nanometer processor. So, I mean, it's not like well, once you get into the, those level of dimensions, it's not like before we used to have the old, uh, the, the P series and the G series and the Helios and like the 14 nanometer processors. I mean, this is still going to be a very, very powerful chipset that's going to get a lot done for people. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing some phones in North America with it. Just, you know, maybe some some Moto G series or something, like a higher end G, like the G Stylus 5G or something. Because I don't think that's going to land in the G Power, G Play, you know, no. like that's still going to remain like Helio and or, you know, Dimensity 900, you know, 800, 700 range. But yeah, well, I think, you know, I feel like more choices is better. And my big, you know, not fear, but concern is how soon will we actually see devices that are relevant to us, right? Like, I think that like 9200, I still haven't crossed a device with 9200 that I, you know, played with for more than a few minutes. Like I played with the Vivo X90 Pro, which is a 9200 yeah, cool. at CES, mm -hmm. but I didn't actually like review it, run some benchmarks, try it out. I've played with Dimensity 9000. I played with 9000 plus now because I have... The next topic for us, which is the the Oppo Find N2 Flip. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But I've never really seen anything else. Like there is a Dimensity 8000. I haven't seen any of it. Uh, obviously, the 8200 just got announced. So yeah, I say bring it on. Because, you know, I get all the Poco phones and the Realmes and the Redmes and all the weird Chinese phones sent to me. So I'm really looking forward to getting one of these. When it comes to us tech enthusiasts, we get a lot more exposure to this. And when you talk about particular markets, North America really has been 
the last frontier they haven't really pushed big into, but it was very encouraging to see, of course, the new Asus Republic Gaming 6 phone. They have a model that has a media tech. The Vivo has a, you know, has a has a media tech chip in that one as well. So I, I think they're doing a, a better job. And I think that's part of their part of their big strategic plan. I, I, I would expect to see some more uh, this coming year, probably later on this fall. Yeah, I'm rooting for them. So have you seen all the coverage around the Oppo Find N2 Flip? I, I've seen quite a bit. I mean, it's it's a really impressive phone. I, I've been I've been Team Flip basically since the first Z Flip came out. I mean, I had the Z Flip, the Z Flip 5G, the Z Flip 3. I have the 4. I had the Moto Razor 5G. I mean, I, I am I like the flip phones, so I, I'm excited about it. Well, here it is. And uh, I don't know if Skype's probably going to try to hide this from you guys, but um, so I have just gotten mine a few days ago, uh, just before the embargo. And, you know, I have a Z Flip 3 here as well. My spouse, it's actually my spouse's. And I have not tested the Z Flip 4, but obviously it's just an iteration over the Z Flip 3. There's definitely some improvements, but it's overall pretty similar. And, you know, my takeaway is... um, yeah, this is competitive for sure. There are a couple of things, though, that are nagging me a little bit and that I think show that Samsung still has a, you know, kind of a step up on on Oppo. And of course, it makes sense because this is really only Oppo's second gen folding, you know, lineup because they have two phones now. They used to only have the Oppo Find N, which I got right. a review not last year. And that was only China. And that was kind of like a passport size phone, essentially. Like think Galaxy Z Fold, but slightly smaller. When it's closed, it's more like a iPhone 13 mini. And you open it and it gives you that tablet experience. And then they had a Fine N2, which is like that, but updated this uh, year that came out in December. I didn't get one of those. But now we have this flip and, you know, for second generation, the big change here, and it's hard going to be hard for me for the Patreons to show you on video, because yes, folks, if you remember, if you join Patreon, you can get the video version of the podcast ahead of time. So consider joining Patreon. I'll tell you more later. But the reality for me is that if I look at this phone right now, the thing that stands out immediately the most, which I think they're doing better than Samsung, is the crease. It's much less pronounced, and I don't know if I can show you that on video, but it's much less pronounced. Trust me on this. And then it's definitely starting to pronounce a little more that I'm keeping it shut more often, right? Like, but when it came out of the box, I couldn't even tell. And then now yeah. it's very mild. And then the other thing is it closes perfectly flat. And I might be able to show you this because, especially since I got the green screen here, like it is yeah. perfectly shut. Right. There's no weird. And let's see if I can actually show you the uh, the crease. I have to power power it down. But like, look at that. Yeah, it's significantly it's tell, better right? than the Samsung. Like even look, even with reflection, yeah, you can there, see you it, can a see bit it a little there. bit. But yeah, it's not bad. Anyway, that's that's where I think they're excelling. Uh, big cover screen as well, which uh, makes a big difference. Uh, I, I there think you go. That, uh, I think animated that, cat. <laughs> I think probably um, but, this year. There's no extra functionality on the cover screen, really. Like, you get more real estate, which is really nice, but they haven't really changed too much of the functions of what you get on the Z Flip. But there's potentially room for improvement. I don't know. The two things that I was saying are kind of a letdown for me are the main camera, even though it's Hasselblad branded, Mm -hmm. even though it has, you know, the same sensor as the OnePlus 11 
5G, which is the same sensor as the Oppo Find N2, the, the book folding passport mm-hmm. size one. It's the same sensor. It has Hasselblad color science, but man, the camera performance is significantly worse. And I think the reason for that is no OIS. You really notice it. And of course, no telephoto, which both the Find N2 book style and the OnePlus 11 have an assistive telephoto that does sensor fusion. So you can mm-hmm. do like 5X and still get good results. Here at 5X, it's it's crunchy, you know? And then ultra-wide is only 8 megapixels. So it's like, ugh, you know, compared to 48. So... I mean, at least put a, a 13 in there or a 12. I mean, at 8... Eight is really low, especially whenever you look at a ultra wide. You're you're looking at a larger landscape, so you're going to need more pixel density in something like that. Especially if you look out on any sizable screen, like if you go eight megapixels and try and blow it up on a twenty-seven inch monitor, it's probably not even to be true to life. You might have some pixelation, but it it's fine on the screen. But I, I just don't understand the trade offs on, on that. So. But I mean, whenever you're dealing with the flip phone, you have a compressed space to try and shove everything in. For sure. And I think the lack of OIS is a Z depth issue, right? They need to keep the camera module and lenses thin. Adding OIS adds thickness. We all know that. Adding autofocus on the ultra wide so you can get macro, which the Find N2 and the OnePlus 11 Mm -hmm. have, is another great thing to have because then you have macro photography with autofocus, but then you you need that Z depth. So, you know, Going up from a 48 megapixel ultra wide to an eight, like you really feel, in my opinion, what I'm trying to say here is that it's not a bad camera, but it's a mid-range camera and it doesn't deserve the Hasselblad branding at all to me. That's It just doesn't. The whole Hasselblad thing has been something they've used as like a marketing point with the OnePlus and maybe some of the other BBK brands when you look into this. It's cool, but like we've seen with like the OnePlus 10 Pro, we've seen with the OnePlus 11, more so with the 11 is better, but I think with the 10 Pro, I think they're basically just some color tuning and some color science. And it's when people think Hasselblad, they think really high quality like image and and, and things like that. So I think maybe it's not quite living up to, I think, the marketing plans that they had for it, but I don't know. We'll see. I think you're right. I, I think though that I would be accepting of the marketing if the color science also was matched with hardware that matched. And until now, it has been. Until now, we have the OnePlus 9 Pro, the OnePlus 10 Pro, the OnePlus 11. All of them, in terms of hardware, are delivering what you expect a Hasselblad device to have. You know, OIS, big sensors, like big pixels, computational fusion photography, all that stuff. Yeah, lots of good stuff. Same with the Oppo Find X5 Pro, which was the equivalent to the OnePlus 10 Pro last year from Oppo, but it was an even better phone in many ways. And it had a Hasselblad and it kicked ass. And, you know, I don't have a a fine N2 book style folding phone, but it's exactly the same hardware as the OnePlus 11. And I expect it to kick ass as well. But this to me, like as soon as you start removing features, it's like when you see, when Huawei started removing OIS on their main sensors on their- Oh, that was big you know, Mate and P-series phones, at least the mid-range ones, I was like, how can you like a brand that? Like, like that's not acceptable. And I talked to their guys at the time and they're like, well, you know, we feel that the EIS, like the electronics is good enough now. And I'm no, like, it's not. that is not how that works. <laughs> like you do not remove optical image stabilization. It is still far superior. Especially if you get, get hybrid it. and you use both together. I mean, it, it, it's like, 
yes, you, you, you can't uh, you can't take out OIS and rely entirely on EIS and think you're going to get the same quality on the image. Yeah. And the other thing that's surprising to me that it feels like a mid-range camera in terms of the results. I'm not talking about the specs are definitely mid-range, but I've seen phones that have mid-range specs deliver like flagship imaging experience simply because of like, you know, here, give you an example, uh, uh, Pixel 6a, right? Like, I mean, it, it does have OIS there again. You see? But the point is that computational photography can help a lot. And Oppo has a lot of experience with that stuff. So mm -hmm. I think this is a tuning issue too, because this is using the Mary Silicon X ISP, their custom design chip, which has kicked serious ass on other, you know, devices I've used it on. Every time I've used a Mary Silicon X device, I've been like, oh, wow, right? I had the, I had the Find X5 last year, and I, I loved it. I know. And so my point is, like, why is it that the Hasselblad branding this, they have Mary Silicon X, and the results are so poor? Now, you're going to say, technically, yeah, low, no OIS. Yes, 8 megapixel ultra wide. Those are technical limitations that suck. But I would expect still to get much better results, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, so, too, when you look at it, a lot of people really had a lot of heartburn when it came to the Z Flip 3 and the Z Flip 4 using the, I mean, they're using the same camera sensor basically for like three years and they finally tuned it up a little bit with the Z Flip 4 and I think it takes good photos. Uh, but I think the expectation as you go in, this is designed to be like a consumer streamlined flip phone. It, it, it's cute. It's fancy looking. It goes in your pocket. I mean, there are some trade-offs. So you have to look at it from, okay, I know we're not going to get like find X5 Pro quality in here. And I know we're going to get S23 Pro Fold, S23 Ultra quality, but you know, I, I think that it should still be a little bit higher than what I think we're getting. Exactly. And to your point, I think they should have gotten rid of the marketing. Like, do not put Hasselblad on this. Mm -hmm. Just accept the fact that it's a mid-ranger in terms of imaging and go with it, you know? And then tune it well so that the Mary Silicon X can do its thing. And we all benefit from a slightly better than maybe a... Z Flip experience. But, you know, you look at Samsung and they actually made the right compromises by reusing a sensor that is well-tuned, that's three years old, mm -hmm. right? They're doing 12 megapixels with OIS on the main and 12 megapixel on the ultra-wide, which are yep. both respectable. And it's like the Pixel 6a. If you're using sensors that they are familiar with, you're going to mm -hmm. get a good image out of them. And so it's kind of disappointing to me that they're like kind of messing that up, you know? I think that Samsung actually learned a lot from Google and is taking a page out of their playbook. Uh, of course, it's changed with the 200 megapixel. Samsung's always going to chase the megapixels. Yeah, they always want to have the biggest one because it's a big marketing sale point to say, oh, well, we've got a 200 megapixel. The iPhone's only got a 50. <laughs> or sorry, 48. But when you look at what they did, though, with the Z Flip 4, the Z Flip 3 in the past generations, they built every year on the competency of the tuning on that camera and have gotten a lot more out of it. So I think generational sensors using the same one for two or three years is not actually a bad thing because they take time to mature. It pays off 100%. And you'll notice that this year with the S23 Ultra, and we're going to talk about your video in a few minutes, like I feel like the didn't come in with the newest 200 megapixel sensor. They used their mm -mm. third gen sensor and that paid yep. off because we didn't have any of the issues we had with the S20 Ultra. Remember the S20 Ultra was like, ooh. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah. First 108 megapixel on the market, basically, and it had a lot of issues. <laughs> well, that one too. We were mad. A, a lot of that right? was the uh, was the uh, autofocus too, because that one they ditched the laser autofocus in that one, and they what well, are 
one of them, they got rid of the phase detection autofocus and they kept the laser or they, or they dropped, I think they dropped the laser autofocus and it really- I think it was the laser, yeah, you're right. Yeah, there was a lot of focus issues people were having, like, I can't take pictures of my kids, can't take pictures of my dog. <laughs> like, it was, stuff was coming out blurry. But when you get a landscape photo, it would look fantastic. Yeah. And you look at the S21 Ultra and then the S22 Ultra and they nailed it. Like, it was just amazing. Mm -hmm. So- you know, I'm glad Samsung's learning, but at the same time, coming back to Oppo here, knowing Oppo's imaging chops, and I've been reviewing their flagships since the Oppo Find X2 Pro, so like and four years good. now. Oppo's good. They know what they're doing. They are not one of those, like, a lot of people are like, oh, I've never really heard of them. Like, trust me, there are a few companies that know imaging well, and they are the following. They're all the big players. Apple, Google, Samsung, of course. But you have on the Chinese side, Huawei and Xiaomi at the high end and Oppo at the high end. They are all mm -hmm. really competent with computational photography now. And, you know, that filters down into, you know, OnePlus and Realme now from Oppo. Mm -hmm. And it filters down. Oh, Vivo has their own pipeline and Vivo is kicking ass. Their X-series phones have been some of the best imaging camera phones I've ever last used two or last since two or the X50. I've been using them since the X50, you know? And then Xiaomi, like some of the stuff is filtering down to Poco and Redmi as well now. Mm -hmm. Some of the cheaper Redmi phones with 108 megapixel, like a, a basic, you know, sensor from Samsung are unbelievably good. We're not talking about phones that cost more than $300 here and they're kicking butt. Well, last so, year... What was it? Was it the M4 Pro that we got last year? The M3? It yeah. had a 108 megapixel sensor. I think it was the GN1. Wasn't it the GN1 yeah, they put in there? Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah and that's really impressive in a two, two, $300 phone. I know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, So I think that this, is a, this needs a bit of work. And then the second big thing that it's a big thing to me, if you read my OnePlus 11 review that's finally out now on Gear Diary, go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I'm very vexed by the lack of wireless charging on the OnePlus 11 5G, because for me, this is a table stakes feature in the flagship game. Mm -hmm. And this Oppo Find N2 Flip does not have wireless charging. And you know, honestly, wireless charging on the Z Flip is a bit of a pain. I'll give you an example on my Tesla. We have these two oh, wireless yeah. charging Qi pads that are felt covered. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're at an angle. So if you put your big slab phone on there, it charges just fine. If you put a Z <laughs> flip on there, it slides down and it's no longer aligned with the coil, right? So then you yeah. can't really charge because the coil is a square phone to a rectangular space and it doesn't work. And so the same some problem. people are going to say, Miriam, come on, like, who cares? And I'm like, I care. I care because when I got my OnePlus 11, and I told this on the last show because I got so mad about it because we reviewed the OnePlus 11 last week with uh, Joshua Vergara. And I literally, I'm not kidding you, Adam. I put it on my wireless charging pad, not even thinking about it twice because I'm like, it's a OnePlus flagship. Well, you and I actually had this conversation in person last week. You know, oh, that's right. We, we talked about it in New York. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's, it's interesting looking at it from different perspectives because you, you love wireless charging. And I think fundamentally at this point, anything calling itself a flagship should have wireless charging. That's kind of my point. Yeah. But in practicality for me, I don't ever use wireless charging. So the fact that it has 80 watt wired charging and I can, one, you've got the Snapdragon 8 generation two, 5,000 milliamp batteries, very power efficient. 
I'm getting basically all day out of it, but then I can top, I can get 50% charge in 15 minutes. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. I'm so not I, against fast wire charging. I want that too. Don't get me wrong. But oh, yeah, I feel yeah. that, like, I feel that this phone, even though it's arguable that the wireless charging on the flip works or is useful because of the shape problem, I still mm -hmm. think it's, if Samsung can squeeze it in, Oppo coming in as a competitor needs to follow suit. You do yep. not mess with these things. Put a wireless on your phone, put wireless charging your phone, and then crank it up a notch by giving us that amazing 44-watt fast SuperVOOC charging. It's 44-watt on the N2 Flip. And, you know, like, that's what you do. You improve. You give us a better cover screen, which they did. By the way, one thing I want to say that I could be wrong on the Z Flip. Somebody might correct me. Please, if you guys want in Twitter or the comments on YouTube, whatever, correct me if I'm wrong. And maybe, Adam, you know this too. But my Z Flip 3 experience, the last time I reviewed the Flip was Z Flip 3, I could not unlock the phone on the cover screen so like no. I, you have to open the phone and unlock it or use the fingerprint sensor to unlock uh -huh. it. And then you can tap to pay, right? But what I love about the N2 Flip is that it just works. Like, so I just pick it up and then I can pay. <laughs> like, it's great. I was surprised by that. I went to coffee this morning, my first time using it. And I'm like, I don't have to open it to pay. Awesome. That's really nice. And I, my thing and reflecting back on what you're just talking about how they're falling short and adding these features if these guys were the first ones to make a flip phone and they were the standard bearer and they were mass marketing this all over the world and selling millions and millions of phones then fine but you're chasing after and trying to bring yourself on par with the samsung this is your flip phone for the year i think we're going to see some really big changes with the flip 5 once it comes out this fall i'm expecting we'll probably see a bigger screen on the outside they're the number ones I think we're going to see some improvements, probably new camera sensors. They're going to we still have be the, to at this point. Yeah, they're going right? to be the big standard bearer still. And this, the, the fine two is still going to be a, a hair behind it. And yeah. they're just not, all, they're not exactly on the level right now. So once the new one comes out this fall, they're certainly not going to. They're going to have, they play this leapfrog. And if you're not leaping frogging enough in, to get ahead of them, then you're still going to be behind. But I can tell you also, and I'm making kind of a counter argument here, kind of playing devil's advocate, because I know how the Chinese think, right? In their mind, it's like, we made this phone for China. You should be grateful we're bringing it globally. <laughs> so in yeah, China, I mean, wireless charging doesn't matter. In China, we have a lot of phones that are higher end that don't have OS. Example from Oppo, the Reno 8 series, Reno 8 Pro, mm -hmm. phenomenal phone, has Great Mary phone. Silicon X. ISP does not have Asselblad branding. And again, no OIS on a beautiful Sony IMX 766 sensor. Wah, 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 wah. And you, <laughs> you, when you use it, though, the pictures are solid. The results are good. So I know Oppo can do it. And I know that even though I don't agree with the lack of OIS, they can probably finagle their way out of it. But Come on, I don't care what China thinks. You want to be a global player? Look at what Samsung. Samsung doesn't just think of the Korean market. They think of the world when they make their phones. Well, I think also with China, one thing, you're going back to the culture and looking at their country, looking at the primary audience. So if we look at the US, we're less, you know, 300 something million people. And then you look at China and it's like, what, 1.4, 1.3 billion. So, I mean, it's like Correct. almost four times larger market. And then, I mean, we're, we're certainly not the focal point, but we're so, I think the United States, North America, and certainly Europe 
are the premier markets for flagship. Correct. So that's why I think you look at Samsung, you look at what they do globally, they try to cater a lot more to the, like just throw everything higher premium tier. And then you look at China, maybe they have less of an emphasis. But like what frustrates me here, looking at the find and two, you also look at the, and this really rubs me the wrong way with OnePlus 11, still 1080p video at 30 frames per second. <laughs> Well, this is another thing that, you know, again, I, I talked to the CEO of OnePlus, the US CEO, uh, Robin, at the event last week in New York. You know, I've known him for a while now. And, you know, he said, what do you think? And I'm like, well, you know, let me be candid with you. I, I love this phone. I think you've hit the value proposition. And uh, yeah, it's good. It's good. But, but, but why no wireless charging? Like that is like for the markets you're focusing. Yeah, I know there's China and India in there, which are huge markets compared to Europe and the US club together. But come on, like OnePlus is the most Western brand you have. This would yeah. have been a no brainer. It would have cost you a dollar more on the bomb to put a wireless charging coil in there. And maybe it'd be like a half a millimeter thicker. Ooh, big freaking deal. Like, you know, like why? And he says, well, we couldn't put fast wireless charge. I'm like, who cares? All we want is <laughs> yeah. Qi 15 watt. So when you throw it on your charging pad in the car, it works. That's, that's all we care about. And, you know, it's like philosophically, they're not on board. I think they just don't think about the markets that they're looking at enough, mm. you know? Well, when you look at the OnePlus brand, though, it's funny because if they want to stick by that and their philosophy for years has been, if we can't do it fast, we're not doing it at all. And that was like, I think that might've come from them years ago when people complained about it when they ditched it. Yeah, on I phone. remember that. But you need to look at, okay, does your philosophy line up with what the market demands are and expectations? And it's like, okay, you, you don't want to shift from this if you can't do it quickly, but if you can't do it at all, then you're going to lose people who would be interested in the phone. And maybe one thing I would have liked to have actually seen I do like the phone a lot. I've got it here in my pocket. I'm still carrying it around. I love this phone, but it's a little narrow. And I, maybe if they just made it a little bit wider, they would have had some, some room to throw some extra parts in there. And maybe they could have put the wireless charger. But I, yeah. I don't know. I, I just feel like, you know, it's just interesting to see how they're so resistant. And, you know, I want to point out for the record, for those of you who don't pay attention to this at home, I don't. Don't blame you because we're getting down in the nerdy parts of the show right <laughs> yeah. now. The OnePlus 9, not 9 Pro, but 9, had Qi wireless charging at 15 watts in Europe and North America only. It did not have the fast wireless charging mm -hmm. that the 9 Pro had, that the 10 Pro had. It had regular. So they've done it before. It had the fast wire charging. And it had mm. regular wireless. And it only had regular wireless if you bought it in Europe and the US. Ta-da, OnePlus. Hello, welcome to something you've already done before. It would have been nice. I, I think it would have made it a more complete and more competitive phone because you start looking at it and you go, okay, all these great things. And you stack it up next to the S23 Ultra, same processor, same battery, same, you know, lots of different things. And then you're like, well, it doesn't have IP68 or 6.7. It doesn't have right. wireless charging. It doesn't thing. have video out for the USB-C. It doesn't, you know, you start looking at these things and it's like, from a tech enthusiast perspective, a lot of that stuff is, is a no-go. But then when you look at maybe the consumer, mass consumer audience at 6.99, the rest of it does look really compelling on paper. And I think it's a, a really enjoyable experience. So it's frustrating to not kind of have those, low, those, those few things that we take for granted and basically anything over 150 bucks in the US.
Yeah, and of course, there's a $100 difference between the phones, which you know you have to keep in mind. Uh, you're getting a better deal no matter what with OnePlus. It's a faster phone. It mm -hmm. is better tuned. It is... You know, it is definitely a OnePlus, kind of back to the roots of OnePlus. But there's a few things they cut corners on addition that people did not necessarily notice. You said no screen projection by a cable. USB 2 on the interface there, on the Type-C, not even 3. Like the previous phone, the OnePlus 10 Pro, folks, yes, it was more expensive, but it had wireless charging. It had OIS on the telephoto, and it had, it had USB 3.1 on that mm -hmm. connector. Like, come on. Like, you're giving us Wi-Fi 7, oh my God, but you're not giving us USB 3. Like, And the funny thing is, is there's basically no deployment of Wi-Fi 7 at this point, which I get it. Okay, they're supporting it, four years operating system, five years security patches. There is some future proofing in that in itself. But yeah, I mean, we've had wireless charging since, what was the first phone? I think the iPhone... Eight no, was, no, no, Nokia, Nokia, way back with the Lumias, they started it all. Right, no, I was just saying the iPhone, the iPhone 10 brought it in, but in the Android, they had it a, a couple years before that too. Oh yeah, Samsung had it for years, OnePlus uh, my didn't have it, but no, I'm thinking HTC, HTC had it, I think, in some phones. My BlackBerry Passport 18 LG did it. it, LG was, I think LG was the first actually, before Samsung, because LG was always the first. Back in was the day, it, man, I miss uh, LG. Was it the G3? I want to say even the G2. Remember back then they had plates you could remove? Yeah, I love so the G2. So you could get a wireless charging plate. Mm -hmm. That was the best part. Like, Here's another thing. You just I removed mean, the back cover, bought another one on eBay, on Amazon, and you put it on and you had wireless charging. Well, that was a funny thing. Like uh, My BlackBerry Passport AT&T edition had wireless charging but my BlackBerry Passport, the silver edition, and also the regular one didn't. Only the AT&T variant had it. It was, it was funny. You know, that's what I love about you. I keep forgetting that you are a huge BlackBerry fan and you have all the passports. And yeah, I do I miss have a the BlackBerry. <laughs> I keep holding out hope. I mean, as long as the country- You know, the, the for me, being more of an Android fan, I was happiest when they collaborated with TCL to make the key one and the key two. And I really yeah. think that the key two was kind of like the pinnacle. I, I know a lot of people think that's blasphemy because the BlackBerry Bold 9000 is probably the pinnacle for some people, or maybe the 9900. But I feel like to me, the pinnacle was really the key two. The key two was incredible. A lot of people, you, know, it, you have to look at it in context because there was so much. I mean, we get, we're so spoiled now because we say, oh, phones are boring because there's so few generational updates year over year. I mean, back in the day, it was like, oh, we've got this new feature, this new feature. Every year, it was like cool new features that they were adding in. And the BlackBerry Key 2, I think if we had seen a Key 3, which, you know, it was in the works at one point in time, I, I think that the Key 2 really refined and did a lot of stuff good that the Key 1 didn't. Like the Key 1 started off with 3 gigs of RAM, 32 gigabytes yeah, of storage. Yeah. It, it had some, they definitely went a little cheap on that and tried to cut some corners. But the Key 2, was a very good phone. My only frustration was it never saw swipe gestures. BlackBerry 10 oh, yeah. swipe gestures were so amazing. And then it's like, right as we were getting to them in Android and running Android on the Blackberries, they stopped at 8.1. And that was, if I could use swipe gestures in that sucker, I would still be using it. It just <laughs> drives amazing. me crazy. Uh, somebody needs to do a third-party rooted thing that turns that on. Anyway, 
Just to um, recap a little bit on the N2 flip, the Oppo Fine N2 flip. Uh, by the way, I realized that when I showed you all, um, this was uh, in a case. So it comes with a little plastic, plastic case. So I don't know if you can see, but it's actually in a hard plastic transparent case right now. That's why it's so shiny. It's actually to protect it a little bit because I'm really worried I'm going to damage this one. It's a slippery without the cover and also slippery with the cover, but at least with the cover, if it falls, it'll be a little better. So I want to talk about a few other items here. You know, the thing that struck me the most this week, like I'm always looking for the phones that are announced that are not necessarily like available to us. And mm. the Magic 5 Lite just randomly came out, which is kind of a precursor <laughs> to what we all expect to be a Magic 5 Pro from Honor mm -hmm. at MWC, right? So yeah. I'm kind of like, why are you launching this now, Honor? But I can't I be know. too mad at them because this thing is slick. Did you see the photos of this thing? Well, the thing like, that gets me with, with Honor and with even Xiaomi is a lot of times they'll do these obscure launches or they'll have a Chinese market launch and then like four or five months later they'll come out with the global launch. Like even with the Magic VS, you know, that came out, I think it was yeah, around right. December, December time frame. And now you know, we're expected to get the global variant here at MWC. But it's like, why 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 do y'all do this? <laughs> yeah. So what's interesting here is this is a phone that actually was launched in the summer as the Honor X9A. And, uh, you know, it's uh, very slick in the sense that it's a very thin phone and it has a really beautiful display. Like it's a mid-ranger, right? Let's be clear here. And it's got a beautiful display, 120 hertz, curved edges, OLED, of course, with a 1920 hertz uh, pulse width modulation for the dimming, right? So that it, it can get very dim without like tiring your eyes. But that's about all. I mean, the rest of it is pretty pedestrian. 64 megapixel main camera, 5 megapixel ultra wide. You think the 8 megapixel on the <laughs> N2 flip is bad. Um, and it's got a Snapdragon 695 and, you know, yeah, I don't... Six, 6 gigs of RAM, right? It's basically, this is a shiny, pretty looking phone with very middling specs, right? I don't understand so, why there's so much, so much. 40 watt charging though, 5100 milliamp hour battery. Yeah. That, that is good. I, I do appreciate that more companies are moving towards larger batteries, even in the budget phones, because uh, they understand that people want to use their phone for a long time without having to charge it. So I, I do appreciate that. But as soon as I see Snapdragon 695, I'm like, just why? Why couldn't you just throw a 7 series in there? <laughs> yeah. So actually, I think it paid off, though, because, I mean, DxOMark gave it the best battery life of any of the phones they've tested ever. And I mean, obviously, they clearly haven't tested phones with 6,000 milliamp hour batteries, like some of those crazy, you know, uh, cat phones and whatever, like the the rugged phones that the Chinese sell that all have like the crazy, like the Yuli phones and the whatever, you know, the right? I actually really like some of the cat phones, uh, you know, the yeah, AGM phones as well, because they put like the infrared, they put in like the night vision the stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah it's really cool. yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool, for sure. Anyway, so just, you know, I did manage to find in this week of very little bit of news, another phone than the fine N2 flip to talk about. So folks, if you're in Europe and you're looking for something shiny, shiny, thin, thin, super sexy, but you don't really care too much about the specs, maybe for your your mom or your, or, you know, your uncle or something, check out the Magic 5 Lite. And speaking of Snapdragon 695, Qualcomm launched a new modem this week just before MWC. Mm -hmm. I'm just mentioning it because it's important when Qualcomm launches something new. I'm personally not too excited about this. I mean, it is 
the X75. The X75 is, you know, just to give you some idea, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 has an X70 in it. So this is clearly a step up from that. Mm -hmm. Does it matter to you today? Probably not, because until it's tightly integrated in one chip, right. like, you know. We'll probably see it in the 8 plus Gen 2 this fall, I would imagine. That's exactly what's going to happen, I feel. But anyway, yeah. it's now available as a standalone chip. So you can uh, make a modem or a phone or a whatever hotspot out of it. I'm going to get right And on uh, the big news here is that they've, it takes less real estate on the circuit board because a lot of the like peripheral electronics are baked in now. And then the biggest thing is it supports release 17 and 18 of uh, NR, which is the 5G standard. And that means that you get all the latest features. Uh, you're going to get a lot more AI in terms of signal processing. So, mm -hmm. And that's big. I think that's actually going to help. Mm -hmm. OnePlus does a really good job with that, where it basically hybrids the frequencies or even combines with Wi-Fi at certain points of time for multiple streams. And I think as we see more and more network bands come out, because a lot of people are still underwhelmed with 5G. Like there was this big promise in the beginning, like, oh, 5G, everything. <laughs> it's going to be so fast. And then you're like, yeah. why am I on 5G and I'm getting less megabits per second than my LTE? <laughs> so, yeah, no, but I, I think this is what they're getting to here is that it's it's basically starting to use some of the 5G advanced features. You mm -hmm. know, there's always like the 3G we, we got, we got, uh, you know, uh, HSTA plus remember back in the day yeah, HSPA HSPA plus, yeah. plus then we got lt advanced and now it's 5g advanced so it's it's kind of uh, adding some of that functionality but i think what's what qualcomm's kind of like ace card is is that they are doing a lot of ai based signal processing to get you the best signal in weird spaces like you know inside of elevators and stuff like that and this also supports snapdragon satellite baked in so you no longer have to put a separate chip for it that is really cool. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm actually so. really excited about that stuff, what they've been able to do with the satellite communication integration. It's it's really a neat thing. So, you know, speaking of Snapdragon, and we mentioned the S23 Ultra, which I also reviewed. If you want to read my review, it finally came out. Two reviews came out this week. My S23 Ultra for hot hardware, and I'll put it in the show notes, and my OnePlus 11. But you had a very strange thing happen with your S23. 23 Ultra. I was really surprised by what happened with the micro scratches within the first few days because of Berla Glass Victus 2. I'll link to your video. I watched your video and I think you nailed it. It's it's because it's designed to be harder to break and so it's going to mm -hmm. be less scratch resistant. And I think it's frustrating and I knew it was a possibility and just, you know, the lifestyle of being a tech enthusiast and a creator. I ordered it. Samsung shipped it out they waited really late to send me a notification that they were shipping it out early. A lot of people are like, oh, it says the 17th, but then it was like, okay, I'm going to get it on the 13th, the 14th, and then mine said the 14th. But if you dug in and looked at the link, it said the 13th. And I had ordered, I was like, okay, as soon as it updated, I ordered my screen protector, but it got here the day after. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this out of the box. I got to start recording stuff. I want to play with it. I can't wait a day to put a screen protector on this before I touch it. So I'm very, very protective of my phones and I, I when i walk around i, I was just carrying it in my hand i wouldn't even put it in my pocket but what happened was i went to the grocery store and i needed to free up some hand space so i put it in my short pocket nothing else in there no keys no no mentos no no tic tac boxes like nothing and then i got home and looked at it the next morning the next day and i was putting my screen protector on and i was like oh my gosh this thing is just 
covered in these micro abrasions. And th this, of course, we know is, is a hazard of phones. I mean, a lot of folks don't even take micro abrasions into consideration because they don't really, as long as you put a screen protector over it, it doesn't really impact the experience or not deep. It's not messing anything up. Right, right. But it's a, it's a byproduct of the way they make the glass now. And for me, Gorilla Glass 3 was the gold, like the gold standard. Because the surface density, it was so tough, it was near impossible to get anything micro abrasion on it wise. But as they've made this glass softer and softer, and the thing is, is you don't want catastrophic failure. So if you drop it, they don't want you to risk shattering it. Exactly. And that, so, you know, it's better to have some little micro abrasions here and there than to have a shattered screen if you drop it. But at the end of the day, you know, and the sucker's called Gorilla Glass Victus too. I mean, like, Fibers in my short pocket shouldn't be leaving micro abrasions on the screen. No, I agree. And I think you've had a, a very odd experience because I hate to tell you, I don't put screen protectors on any of my phones. Then again, I don't buy phones. They're all review units, but I don't. And my Galaxy S23 Ultra right now, two weeks in, I guess we got our phones on Wednesday two weeks ago. Yeah. I don't have a single micro scratch. And, and I know a lot of people don't. It's just my pocket. And I don't care even. I don't even pay attention. I got my, I finally got a case for it in New York because Amazon finally had the kind of case I liked and I got it shipped to my hotel in New York. And But I don't have a screen protector on it. And I am telling you, like I looked, I did the flashlight thing you did last night thinking to myself, for sure, I have mm -hmm. some scratches because I don't care. And no, not a single one. So I think you, you probably the shorts you wore went to the beach once, as you said, yeah. and had a few <laughs> grains of salt left in there because salt or sand or whatever, sand. And mm -hmm. that's what happened because I've had that happen with sand. Sand is the worst. Well, it might also be the proximity where I'm at. I'm down here in Southeast Texas. Yeah, there's a lot more probably sand in the environment than there is up in, in Canada Oh yeah, you New get York. ambient dust for sure, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're in Southeast, eh? That's cool. Yeah, you probably get a lot of that, like, air. Well, we also have a lot of mineral, like, there's a lot of minerals in our water and stuff here. You know, we have kind of hard water. So, I mean, who knows? I, I, I don't know what the culprit was. There was nothing in my it pocket sucks, other than the phone. It though, dude. It sucks. Like, your phone was brand new, and you couldn't get a screen protector in time. Yeah. Ugh. It's okay. The thing is, I mean, I might trade it in next year if Samsung decides they want to give us real trading credit again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, this year is not the best. Yeah, I, I would have traded in my S22 Ultra, but I was like, for 500 bucks, I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. You probably sell it privately at a better cost. But, you know, check out the video, guys, because I think that, you know, you'll learn a lot. I think you did a very in-depth analysis of what could go wrong, how it went wrong, and what you can do to prevent it, what screen protectors you use. And also things like, you know, uh, the reality, which is that it's a, it's a, it's a trade-off between, you know, scratch and break. And if you don't want break, you're going to get scratch a bit more. And if you don't want scratch, you're going to get break a little more. We don't have magic yet, even though the folks at uh, Corning are really good at what they do. Speaking of Samsung, I really didn't think I was going to read this rumor at all, because I thought that we were done with Exynos. I thought that the next chipsets from oh <laughs> Samsung were going to be something radically new that they were going to try to kind of like play with the big boys finally. Aren't they calling it like the dream program or something? They've hired some people. They're doing R&D on a new chipset that we're expecting. Well, that's what but, I'm saying. That's kind of yeah. the thing I thought we were going to see next. Like they're a, a brand new architecture, something radically new and different. But no, mm -hmm. no, there are rumors of another, yet another Exynos. Can we please put Exynos to death? 
Can we just get rid of it? Is it? Can it not be over by now? Only if we can pair it with Bixby and just get rid of both at the same time. The Bixby phone. Oh my god. Ah, uh, I'm having nightmares. Uh, Exynos 2400 rumors. I just want to leave it. This is the only, the only reason I brought this up. Really, is so that we can make fun of Samsung because, look, I competition is good. Having only MediaTek and Qualcomm, you know, I mean, there's Apple too, but Apple is for Apple only. Right. Out there is is a bit of a pain. Like, remember back when we had TIO map back for the Nexus S and stuff, like Texas Instruments was making, you know, SOCs and stuff. Like, I like it. I encourage it. But Exynos architectures just hasn't delivered. They can't even get to the level of, like, a MediaTek Dimensity 9000X, you know? Like and that's sad. 9, 000, because any 9000. And their modems like, are even worse. Yeah. I, I just feel like I wanted to kind of move on to the next thing they're working on. Please. Can we? I would please? like to see that. I don't think it's going to happen, at least in nothing flagship. I mean, maybe they might do it in another market. But at this point, they've already gone all in with Snapdragon. Everybody's really excited about it for the S23 series. And at it this paid point, off, too, you know? Yeah. And, and that was a big move for a lot of folks because there was a, you could tell, there was a there was a pretty big disparity between the last Exynos and the S22 Ultra and the performance and the heat issues and the battery life and the optimization. It just was not a good experience for people who got the Exynos model. So and this was a big move. And I think across you know, globally, everybody was really happy about it. So to, at this point, to go back from that at, in any way, I think would be a huge disaster. Yeah, well, let's see what happens. Maybe this rumor is just not true. Uh, another rumor, which I think is interesting, is as we all know, we're starting to see, you know, supposed leaked shots of the iPhone 15 with a USB-C port on it. Uh, mm. This could be easily photoshopped or, um, you know, chat GPT generated, not chat, uh, AI generated. Yeah. Um, but the point is, uh, it's pretty clear that the iPhone 15 series will likely have a USB type C, which I'm excited about. But of course, Apple is going to Apple. And the rumors are now that they're going to put an, a chip inside their cable. Yeah, for proprietary um, Or accessories. force third parties to put a chip inside standard USB cables to make them MFI, made for iPhone compliant. And, you know, honestly, I think that's actually likely. I think that's, that's going to happen. It sounds like something... They would do. You know, I think it's likely to happen, and I give this a good probability of happening, and only for the fact that they want to control the accessory market a little more. And they might be able to do it such that it won't really affect people using existing cables. I have a feeling that existing cables will charge using the standard, like, you know, uh, PD levels, but mm -hmm. perhaps the MFI stuff will reserve other functionality like maybe faster USB speeds or maybe uh, special charging speeds at Apple. I wouldn't be surprised that with introducing uh, the USB-C connector, they're adding fast charging and it's their own version of fast charging. In that case, they need MFI. You know what I'm saying? Well, they've been all about proprietary accessories and cables. And remember when we had the big shift and had to change from the big cable to the lightning cable. And now we've got the MagSafe charging and they took the charging brick out. Like, yeah. If they weren't so, I, I don't know, um, hypocritical in the way they do things, at least from my perspective, because like, oh, <laughs> all about the environment. But here, see our new $80 charger bundle that you need to use MagSafe because you have to have 20 watts and you got to buy the adapter. Conveniently, at the same time, they ditched the power brick. I'm like, look, 
you're adding more boxes, more waste, more chargers out there. I'm like, just say you want to make money. Like everybody knows what you're trying to do this. So if they do the MFI route and it's just a continuation of how they do business. And of course, I mean, the profit margins are insane on that stuff. So they're probably spend 30 cents to make the cable, but yet they make, they charge, you know, 20, 25 bucks. So, I mean, it makes sense. The big things they like to maximize money on accessories and services. It's all near profit. Yeah. So I don't know. I think this is likely, but I think it's more likely because they want to reserve certain functionality like video output or, you know, mm. maybe they want their own fast charging standard. And that, you know, in the same way as Oppo with SuperVOOC and OnePlus SuperVOOC, they have a chip in the cable that says the cable is a SuperVOOC cable and they have mm -hmm. a chip in the, you know, charger that says the, the charging brick that says this is a, a SuperVOOC. So otherwise it doesn't kick in the SuperVOOC, oh, yeah. right? Because if you use the wrong cable, like the current is high, so you could really have some issues. So I see I see that happening, but I don't see them banning us from using standard PD chargers and charging at high speed if they're It'll probably supported. be limited to like 18 watts or whatever, which I mean, not not the end of the world, but I mean, yeah, I, I did notice that with the OnePlus charger because I plugged it in my S23 Ultra. I'm like, why is it saying three hours? <laughs> right, right. And speaking of other charging infrastructures, um, you know, we cover EVs on the show sometimes, and I think this is a, a big chunk of news this week as a Tesla owner myself, that Tesla's been talking about this for a while and has implemented this starting in 2021 in the parts of Europe like the, the Netherlands and Norway, that they're going to open up their supercharging network to other non-Tesla EVs. And I think this is absolutely important. Even as a Tesla owner, I think this is something that we need to see happening. I review enough EVs from third parties that I run, especially in California, where there's a lot of EVs and the charging infrastructure is stressed out. Not the superchargers, but the regular like EVgo and the, you mm -hmm. know, um, uh, Electrify America, all of this is is really often you have to line up, often the, the stations are down. Like it's a hassle if you don't own a Tesla. And uh, so I like the idea that they're going to open it up. And, you know, Elon's already talked about this a while back. I don't know if it was Elon or somebody at Tesla, but I don't want to quote that guy anyway. <laughs> so maybe I should just say somebody at Tesla. I think they announced it in late spring this last year. I was pretty excited about it because my wife has a Model 3 and then I have a Model Y. Well, I mean, she's fine. I mean, we're going to get the charging capabilities anyway, but. The biggest thing is opening up the infrastructure. Uh, we need the infrastructure as much as we need the vehicle. So exactly, exactly. And I think the way they're going to do it, I think, is interesting. That that's well, that that person at Tesla, whoever it was, told me basically that you know told not me, told people in a in an interview somewhere that they were going to make it so that Tesla people would get priority. So like they at any given time know how many Teslas are coming to mm -hmm. a supercharger because of the navigation. Like we select the superchargers and the nav, right? right? And they know how many people are plugged in that are Teslas. They know how many people are nearby that are Tesla based on all the data they get from the internet since the cars are internet connected. So they're mm -hmm. able to say, okay, this station, we're not gonna let people with the app that are non-Tesla users connect to these stations right now, right? Like they can control it so that I think a lot of the fear from Tesla owners is, oh, I, I will have to, we'll have lines and I'll have to wait. I don't think it's going to go like that. I think no. we're going to get priority because they can do that. In the same way as Mercedes is rolling out their own network right now, I was starting to, and they said that they would prioritize Mercedes owners by allowing reservations inside the car. So you'll be able to say, take me to this charger. Yeah, reserve a time slot. And it'll reserve it for you, right? 
And, and and that makes sense. And maybe it could be something so simple as you're driving down the road, you you type in your navigation, supercharger, you click on it, send it as your destination. Maybe that automatically secures your slot, so that way they know that's that you're what I'm on saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that makes sense. And with all the smart stuff we can do, technology, I think a lot of companies realize that more infrastructure is better for the entire industry, not just keeping it proprietary. Hundred percent. Well, listen, Adam, we have to wrap up. So do you want to tell folks where they can find you on the internet, what your social media handles are, and tell us about your YouTube channel and all that stuff? Well, if you're feeling brave, uh, you can find my YouTube channel. It's it's Tech Odyssey, one word. Uh, I've, been making, I've been making videos about five years now. Uh, I cover a lot of smartphone stuff. I release videos every day. Uh, I do cover a lot of Samsung, a lot of Pixel stuff, but I cover pretty much every major brand that comes out. So lots of phone stuff. If you like criticism, if you like Getting a little ranty sometimes, I can go off on tangents. But Tech Odyssey on YouTube, if you look for me on Twitter, its handle is Adam J. Matlock. And those are two big places that you can find me at. Cool. You're not on Instagram? I am on Instagram, but probably more likely to see food pictures than you are phone information. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That's awesome. And folks, you know where to find me on the internet. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, both on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to chat about this podcast with me and Adam, please do it. On Twitter, since we're both on there, it probably makes this easier. You can also comment on the YouTube channels, which I'm going to mention in a second. My Twitter handle is also my Instagram handle. And remember, Tank Girl, it's like the comic book character. Just drop all the vowels, T-N-K-G-R-L. It's really easy to remember. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones, of cars, of travel, of food, all taken with phones. So check that out. The podcast itself lives at Mobile Tech Podcast. Com. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, everywhere good podcasts can be found. And so please subscribe and tell your friends. I have a couple of YouTube channels, uh, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast and youtube.com slash mobile tech more. The first one is mostly about phones and direct peripherals like headphones, wearables, watches, you know, personal audio, that kind of stuff. And then the second one is everything else, all the car stuff, the travel stuff, the home stuff. So you know, the, the more channels are very active, unfortunately, but I've been posting up a little bit more on the main channel. You'll see unboxing videos of the Oppo Find N2 Flip and of the OnePlus 11 and a hands-on with the Samsung phones as well. So check all that out. You know how YouTube works. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the bell and comment. Comment in the YouTube channel about the podcast even. It's fine. I'll, I'll get back to you. Also, there's a Patreon. I mentioned it a few times. Patreon.com slash tankgirl. That's patreon.com slash tnkgrl. I would appreciate your help. If you can support me financially, please do it with Patreon. There's a bunch of perks there, including access to our Discord server. And uh, of course, the video version of the podcast, which is exclusive to Patreons, comes out generally a day or two in advance and generally a bit less edited, a little bit more raw, a little more real. And you get to see on video and stuff. It's fun. There's other perks there as well, so check it out. And it's patreon.com slash tnkgrl. And I want to thank our sponsor, MediaTek. MediaTek powers nearly 2 billion connected devices a year and is a market leader in developing innovative system-on-a-chip SOC for mobile device, home entertainment, connectivity, and IoT products. And I want to thank you, Adam, for being my guest as well. Thanks so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We'll definitely have you on at some point in the future. And folks, you know, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody.
This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.